before we read. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you reveal yourself in your word. Thank you for Jacob. Thank you that uh, you've laid words upon his heart to share with us this morning. I pray that we would have ears to listen and hearts to understand. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts upon Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to, to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son, of, son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your, harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Through, the 40 year, through for 40 years they saw what I did. That as, why, that as why I was angry with that generation, I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in anger. They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those whom Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness, and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed. So we see, we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And yet 
his works have been finished since creation since the creation of the world for someone somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these wonders in these words on the seventh day god rested from all his works and again in the passage above he says they shall never enter my rest therefore since it remains since it still remains for some to enter that rest and some those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience god again set a certain day calling it today this he did when a long when a long time later he spoke through david as in the passage already quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if joshua had given them rest god would not have spoken later about another day there remains then a sabbath for the people of god for for anyone who enters god's rest also rests from their works just as god did from his let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience for the word of god is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from god's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account thanks dave and uh Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. If you don't know me, my name's uh, Jacob. I'm a ministry trainee here at the church. Uh, is this mic on? We're, we're working, we're good. Um, how about before we get started, uh, we'll pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, as we uh, come before your word this morning, we thank you that as we've just read, it's alive and active. Uh, Lord, that the words we've just heard from you aren't just dead words on a page, uh, but the living word from the living God. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your word judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart, and we pray that it might do that for us this morning. Uh, and Lord, we're also aware that um, nothing is hidden from your sight, and all is laid bare before you. So Lord, as we hear from your word this morning, help us to do uh, some heart work on ourselves, uh, knowing that it comes from your word, uh, and that you see us as we are. And we thank you and you, we praise you for that, in Jesus' name. I'm in. What's your favourite part of the day? What's your favourite part of the day? You might be a morning person. You love getting up early, beating everyone else up, and uh, you just enjoy some quiet time before everyone else is out of bed, having a cuppa, maybe having a devotion, seeing the sunrise. You love getting up early and taking the dog out for a walk. Uh, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're a night owl. And you love staying up until 11 or 12. I don't know what you people do at that hour. Maybe you sit up and watch TV or browse the internet or whatever it might be. Maybe you just love staying up late. 
Maybe your favourite part of the day is the one hour you spend at the gym or getting out for a run. You know, you love just being able to forget about everything else, blow off some steam, get sweaty, and that's a really good part of the day for you. There's parts about every day that are there to enjoy, right? But I think, I wonder if some of you are with me when you say that your favourite part of the day is going to bed. I'm not old, but the older I get, the more I enjoy going to bed. It's so good. It's so good. After all the the busyness and the responsibilities of the day, how nice is it to go to bed and just rest? Whether you've had a hard day on the tools or a hard day chasing after toddlers, or your brain is fried from just doing an assignment, or whatever it might be, how good is it to just go to bed and rest? And as good as that rest is, there's another kind of rest that's promised in these chapters of Hebrews, which is so much better. And that's going to be our focus this morning, that promised rest of God. First, we'll see a warning about missing out on that rest, Second, we'll see an exhortation. An exhortation is like a a strong urge to enter into that rest. Uh, And lastly, we'll think more about what the promised rest actually is. Uh, So a warning, an exhortation, and then what the rest is. But before we do that, we're going to see that the warning and the exhortation are given in light of who Jesus is. So Hebrews chapter 3, the, the words Steve just read for us, they start with the words, Therefore, brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, who we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Why should we do that? Well, we read on, and in the next few verses, we start to see this comparison between Jesus and Moses and all the ways that Jesus is better than Moses. Um, Jesus is called our apostle, which is a a funny thing to say, and it's actually the only place that Jesus is called an apostle. Um, But really it means uh, that Jesus is the one who was appointed by God the Father to represent him to us and to proclaim the good news of salvation. Jesus was God's representative and God's messenger in the same kind of way that Moses was to the Israelites. Jesus is also called our high priest. He's the one who makes atonement for our sin and speaks for us before God. And Moses wasn't a priest, but he was someone who represented the people before God. He spoke for the people before God. Next, we see that Jesus was was faithful to his father, the one who appointed him. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Moses was faithful... But he wasn't perfect. But Jesus was perfect in his faithfulness, even unto death on a cross. The cross where he died to make atonement for our sins. And so we see that Jesus is worthy of greater honour than Moses, in the same way that a builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. If a, if a fancy house wins an award, you don't give the award to the house and say, here you go, house, good boy, well done. No, you give the award to the builder of that house. And Jesus is the one who builds God's house. And what is God's house? Well, God's house is is the people of God, the church, it's us. 
Moses was a servant in God's house. He served among the Israelites, the people of God. But Jesus is the faithful son over God's house. And we are God's house if we hold firmly to the confidence and hope in which we glory. Aha, uh-huh. and so now this verse, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, kind of serves as a platform for the rest of the, the following section. That is, it, it kind of sets the theme, the importance of holding firmly, not hardening our hearts and making every effort to enter into God's rest. So you see the progression of thought. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is the builder of God's house and we are God's house if we hold firmly to him. And the reason for making such a big deal of Jesus at the start of this section is to kind of say, hey, the stakes are high. The stakes are high. As we consider this warning and the rest of the chapter, the stakes are high. If Moses was someone who was worthy of great honour, and someone who the people should have listened to, and look what happened to them when they didn't listen to him, how much more is Jesus someone we need to pay attention to? Jesus is the only way into God's promised rest. He's the only one who can get us there. And so in light of that, we get this warning, don't harden your hearts. We see it three times in chapter 3. Uh, In verse 7 to 8, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 and he says, Today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts. In verse 12, he writes, uh, See to it, brothers and sisters, that no one has a sinful, unbelieving heart and a a little bit later a heart that's hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, And in verse 15, just in case you missed it, he quotes Psalm 95 again and he says, Today, if you hear God's voice... Do not harden your hearts. So it's clear, right? The the warning is there multiple times and doesn't need much explanation except to say, what does it actually look like to harden your heart? And throughout these chapters, we see words like unbelief, rebellion, disobedience. Those words are used and those things are all kind of tied up with having a hard heart. But what we really get is an example, an example that's given of the Israelites in the wilderness of what a hard heart looks like. Uh, Verse 7 to 9 of chapter 3 says, Today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. The generation of Israelites that Moses led out of the wilderness were people who had seen God's marvellous deeds for 40 years. God rescued them out of Egypt. He promised them to give them a land of rest, a land flowing with milk and honey. But no sooner had they left Egypt, they started complaining and wanting to go back there. They got hungry in the desert and started moaning. And God rained down quail and manna he provided for them. At the place called uh, Massa and Meribah, they got thirsty. They started moaning again. God gave them water. At Mount Sinai, they saw the awesomeness of God and how he thundered from the mountain. And then if you remember, Moses was up the mountain a bit long, so they made golden cows and started worshipping them. 
And the straw that broke the camel's back, if you like, was when 12 spies were sent into the promised land to kind of scope it out, and they came back and 10 of those 12 spies were like, nah, we can't, we can't go in there. Their people are big, their cities are big, they'll destroy us. And it kind of sent the people into a panic. You read in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 14, you don't have to go there, I'll read it, but um, it's, it's intense. You read that night... All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? And they said to each other, We should choose another leader and go back to Egypt. And while they're still saying this, the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses went in to meet with God. And God said to him, as surely as I live, not one of them will enter my rest. Tragedy. Tragedy. People who had seen the marvellous deeds of God They'd heard his promises, but for 40 years, they hardened their hearts. Until finally, you have to say, they got what they deserved. And so we get the warning. You see, these people, don't be like them. Don't harden your hearts. It's easy for us, I think, to to read about the Israelites and think, how could they be like that? But there's a reason the warning is there, and that's because the danger of hardening our hearts is real. And it's dangerous, I think, because more often than not, we harden our hearts over time. It's not something that happens overnight, but it happens slowly, almost imperceptibly sometimes. But nonetheless, deliberately and repetitively, The Israelites really didn't believe God. Maybe you've been coming along to church for a long time, years even. Maybe being dragged along by your parents. You come to church every week. You hear the promises of God held out to you in Jesus. And it just falls on deaf ears. You switch off. Think to yourself, not important, irrelevant, boring. Maybe you you kind of believe it, like intellectually you believe it, or maybe you just don't. And whether you're old or young, maybe you're just kind of hanging out for the day when you're gone. You're just going to walk away. Well, that day hasn't come yet, but today has. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. The Israelites didn't follow God, they didn't obey Him. And maybe you don't want to either. Maybe you kind of know what God requires of you, 
Maybe you kind of see that a closer relationship with God sounds okay, but you just kind of don't want it. You're too busy with life. You kind of like keeping God at arm's length. You get to hang on to certain sins. You've got no real intention of giving them up. Hardly ever pray. Never open the Bible. And don't get me wrong, all of us, we do, we go through seasons like this. But maybe for you, it's been a long time. Maybe months, years, decades even. Decades that have brought you to today. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. You see how none of this stuff happens overnight? No, it's more like taking an attitude or an action or an inaction and just putting it on repeat day after day, year after year of not believing, not trusting, not obeying God, hardening your heart until one day you stand before the God to whom you'll have to give an account and hear him say to you, you will never enter my rest. Tragedy. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Instead, We need to make every effort to enter into God's rest. Alongside this warning not to harden our hearts, there's an exhortation in these chapters to make every effort to enter into God's rest. And I think one of the key things to notice about this exhortation is it's an exhortation that's given to us collectively as much as it is given to us as individuals. Notice firstly uh, in chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a... A sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Notice the one another bit. Encourage one another daily. Uh, it's even there in the warning. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart. So that's uh, to, to check our own hearts, but also uh, encourage each other as well. Uh, and definitely the exhortation. Uh, it's given to us as a collective. Again, later in chapter 4, verse 11, the exhortation is to let us make every effort to enter into God's rest, as in let us together make sure that we make it across the line. What can protect us against a hard heart? In one sense, it's the, it's the Christian community What can spur us on to keep making that effort to enter God's rest? It's each other. If you're anything like me, then you know how prone you are to your heart going hard sometimes. My heart can go crusty. I get a bit cold and hard towards God. Prayer can seem like a chore. The Bible can seem like a closed book. And so often, so often, the antidote to those things is the Christian community. More often than not, in fact, almost always, I come away from time spent with other Christians, actually time spent with you guys, and I'm better for it. 
Is it like that for you? Maybe not always, but more often than not. You walk out of church on Sunday different to how you walked in. Hearing God's word together, singing praise to God, praying together, somehow lifted your heart to God and helped you focus on Jesus. And you feel like you can keep going. You somehow find the energy to get to growth group during the week. You don't feel like going. None of us ever really do. But you do. You go. You get there. And you dig into the word together and you pray together. And something that you weren't really looking forward to actually becomes a joy. And you go, gee, I'm glad I went tonight. I really needed that. You feel like you can keep going. You meet up with other Christian friends to pray and read the Bible together or you just get together socially and the time you spend with them is good for your soul. You come away feeling refreshed and encouraged. You feel like you can keep going. And as you do all that, you get to spur other people on as well. Never underestimate the encouraging influence that just turning up to stuff has on other people. Just by virtue of your being there, church, growth group, youth group, catching up, whatever it might be, just by virtue of your being there, it's showing other people that, hey, this is important. I value this. I don't want to miss it. Just showing up can have a huge impact on other people. It helps them to feel like they can keep going. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. Let us make every effort to enter God's rest. What would it look like for us to be a rich community of believers that offers protection against a hard heart and the encouragement that we all need to keep going so that together, all of us, make it across the line into God's rest? Which is what exactly? What is, what is God's rest, this uh, rest that we've been talking about? Um, it's not immediately obvious from the text. And I think the big question is, is this promised rest something that we can have now? Or is it purely something that's held out to us for later? Is it a now thing or is it a later thing? Uh, and there's a bit of working out to be done. So let's walk through the text uh, and do it together. So um, there's a few verses in chapter 4 that seem to say that this rest is something we either do have or can have now. So if you've got your Bibles open, look with me at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short for it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. The Israelites failed to believe the good news, the promises of God, so they missed out on the rest. But we who have believed enter the rest. So there's a link there between believing and entering the rest. Believe the good news, the promises of God held out to you in Jesus and you enter into God's rest. That's something that can happen now, can happen today. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 7. God says that God has set a day to enter his rest and called it today, as in today you can enter that rest. And if we can enter that rest today, it doesn't make sense to say that that rest is purely something for the future. Keep going, and in verse 10, uh, it says, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Now, what does that mean? It could mean that you rest from your own efforts at trying to get right with God, trying to please God, make him happy with you. If you believe the good news about Jesus having done everything needed for you, if you put your trust in him, you rest from your works. That kind of makes sense, right? But it could also mean that anyone who enters God's final rest at the end of their life, rests from the good works that God's called them to do in this life, as in, you are a new creation created to do good works, and at the end of your life, when you enter God's rest, you finally rest from those works. And that would kind of say that the promised rest is a future rest, right? And another indicator that it's a future rest, we've already looked uh, at verse 11, this exhortation to make every effort to enter into God's rest. If the promised rest is something that we've already entered into, then what sense does it make to say, make every effort to make sure you get there? It has to be something that's in the future. So if you're confused, uh, it, it seems like the best way to make sense of the promised rest is to say that it's an already but not yet thing. That is, the promised rest is something that we can take hold of today and start to experience today, but we don't get the full experience of it yet. And so we need to hold firmly, make every effort to enter into that full experience of God's rest at the end. It's a bit like this. Imagine you're out on a a multi-day bushwalk somewhere. And on day one or two of your walk, you stumble across some great treasure. Maybe you, you find a big diamond in the river or something. But you can't turn around and go home and cash it in. You have to, you have to keep it on you to the end of your walk until you can get home and cash it in. You get to enjoy having it. You know that once you do cash it in, you'll have the option to never work a day again in your life. And so you enjoy something of the benefits of having that treasure. But the real prize is being able to cash it in at the end, right? And so you would be crazy if you were careless about that treasure. You'd want to hold firmly to it. You'd want to make every effort to keep it on you. If you were walking with other people, you'd say to them, hey... Make sure I don't lose this. And if the other people walking with you, they'd probably say something like, hey, make sure you don't lose it. And so it is with God's rest. If you've believed the good news of Jesus and entrusted yourself to him, you've tasted God's rest. Am I right? You've found rest from trying to earn God's favour through your own works. Jesus has done it all. You found rest from guilt and shame. Jesus has paid for your sins. 
you found rest from trying to find your value and meaning and significance in empty, shallow things. You found rest from thinking that your value lies in your appearance. You found rest from chasing after stuff to try and fill your life with meaning. You found rest from thinking that your significance depends on your high performance or other people's opinions. You found rest from all that because since you've come to Jesus, all your value and meaning and significance comes from him, from being a child of God, from being loved by God, called by God, in a relationship with God. The God who steals your soul, as we heard before from Graham and Kay. The God who makes you lie down in green pastures. The God who leads you by still waters. The God who refreshes your soul. If you know what that deep rest for the soul is like, then praise God for that. Praise God for that. Maybe you've even found rest from fighting against certain sins. God, in his goodness, has given you the victory over alcohol or porn or anger or jealousy or greed or whatever it might be. Maybe you've found rest from fighting against those sins. And if that's you, then praise God for that. But no doubt, there's areas of your life where the fight goes on. You know that you're a new creation but sometimes it doesn't feel like it. You find yourself hamstrung and frustrated by the sin that still lives inside you. Things like selfishness, pride, bitterness, anxiety, fear, lust, impure motives, whatever it is, you find those things so deeply woven into who you are and you hate it and you fight against it and you bring it before God and you say, God, please deal with this. But the fight goes on and it's exhausting sometimes. And how nice will it be on that day when the victory is complete and you can finally rest Even the good stuff, the good works that God's called you to do in this life, they can be hard. The good works of your personal life, family life, church life, service to God, sometimes they can feel like hard work. The brokenness of this world, just the complexities of dealing with other people, just the grind of getting up and doing it over and over again, sometimes it can be hard work and it's nice, isn't it, to get a rest from it all. It's nice to go to bed and rest. And that sweet rest is just a sample of God's promise rest. Uh, In a little book called Thank God for Bedtime, uh, Jeff Robson, who's a, a pastor and author, he suggests praying this prayer at the end of every day. It goes like this. Lord, thank you for sustaining me through today. Thank you for allowing me to live this life in relationship with you. And thank you for preparing good works for me to do. 
Forgive me for the bad things that I did and the good that I neglected to do. Thank you that Jesus died to take away all the sins of my day. And now, Father, I lie down to rest. I've done all I can do. Thank you that in your kindness, there's nothing more that you're asking of me today. I praise you, Father, that I can lay my head down and sleep, safe in the knowledge that I'm at peace with you through my Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift, hey, that rest is. But it's a rest that's just a sample of the final rest that's waiting for us. Jeff Robson says, what if we change the wording of this prayer to just make it a prayer that we can pray before we close our eyes one final time? It would go like this. Lord, thank you for sustaining me all the days of my life. Thank you for allowing me to live this life in relationship with you. And thank you for preparing good works for me to do. Forgive me for the bad that I did and the good that I neglected to do. Thank you that Jesus died to take away all the sins of my life. And now, Father, I lay down to rest. I've done all I can do. In your kindness, there's nothing more that you're asking of me in this life. I praise you, Father, that I can lay down my head in death, safe in the knowledge that I'm at peace with you through my Lord Jesus Christ. And as we enter that rest one final time, as we close our eyes that final time, we'll hear our Father say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. Rather, entrust yourself to Jesus, hold firmly to him, and make every effort to enter that final glorious rest. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you promised us rest. Lord, thank you that we can experience something of that today. Lord, thank you that we can rest from our works of trying to earn your approval. Thank you that we can find rest in Jesus who's done it all. Thank you that by virtue of who you are and what you've done for us, you provide rest for our soul. Lord, help us not to harden our hearts against you. If any of us here this morning are in danger of doing that, we pray that by your spirit you would arrest them, call them back to you, soften their heart, help them to entrust themselves to Jesus and hold on to him. Lord, all of us know something of the hardness and the difficulty of this life, the fight against sin, the complexity of just working hard and doing the things that you've called us to do. Lord, in the midst of all that, help us to find our daily rest in the person and work of Jesus and help us to keep going, keep making the effort as we strive toward that final glorious rest where we'll be with you, you'll be our shelter, you'll be our shade 
and Jesus the Lamb will be our shepherd. Father, we long for that day. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, So our final...